Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church family. This week we continue our sermon series about courage. And this week we'll be talking about conviction. Now, we tend to use the word conviction in three different ways in the English language. The first way is a legal way. We can be convicted of a crime. But the second way we talk about conviction is around belief. I'm convicted that this is true. And the third way we use the word conviction is being convinced of an error and therefore believing differently. So we'll be talking about conviction today in the second and third sense. How are we convicted such that we believe that something is true? And how can we be convicted and that conviction change our hearts and we be convinced of something new? As we think about these things, please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and perhaps even in spite of me. And so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I think about this word courage, I think about what it means to move beyond our comfort zones. Now, when you think about it, it's the calling of the church to move beyond our comfort zones. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses. And what he's talking about is, is taking the gospel message in words and in actions. He says, You will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, in all Judea, and then Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying is you are going to move out of your comfort zone. This comfort zone close to home with people who, who speak like you, who see the world similarly to you, who, who look like you. And you're going to go to places where people uh, speak different languages, people uh, have different shades of skin. You're going to go to places of the world where people have very different worldviews uh, than you hold. And you're going to lovingly and courageously carry this message. Lovingly, courageously, compassionately share this message. And so what I've purposed to do in this sermon series is to have conversations with uh, friends of mine who... Um, sometimes wrestle with the church, sometimes see things differently. Because part of this journey of carrying the message lovingly and courageously and compassionately is listening to the stories, listening to the journeys of others and hearing how they are calling the church, inviting the church to a courageous posture that might impact and bless the world. And so I want to introduce you to my friend, Hannah, and let's listen to her story. 
I'm so excited to have with me this morning my friend Hannah. Hannah and I have known one another since college, and uh, she's living in Germany right now. She and her husband, Christian, and they've got a Pilates studio doing all kinds of, of cool things. And I'm excited to talk this morning about uh, the church and about courage with you, Hannah. I'd love to know from uh, your perspective, when you think about the church, what do you think about? What comes to mind? How do you feel about the church? Ooh, well, actually, that could be a complicated um, conversation. <laughs> First of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me to be here. It really means a lot to me um, that you that you asked me to be here. And, um, and I find it very courageous to be able to have this conversation. So whatever comes of it, um, I appreciate that you're listening. Uh, and I think that's half or the big part of, of courage is being able to have hard conversations. Um, all right. What do I, I think my relationship with the church is actually very complicated and that started basically in, in university, actually. Um, I had a fantastic group of friends that were, that were in the church and I was um, I would was part of that for a while, but then there was a few things that just led me outside of feeling safe from the church uh, for many different reasons. But um, a big one is when not feeling that my bodily autonomy was being respected as a woman. So that's where I, I left and I did my own thing. I feel that I'm a very um, spiritual person still. I, I really, um, I see God in all of the different communities that I've that I've gotten to experience. I've traveled the world. I've experienced the beauty of of humanity, and um, I think that's what the essence and essence of of God is. So, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, so let's talk about courage for for a moment here. Mm -hmm. So when you think about courage in relationship to the church, where do you wish the church was more courageous in its life and witness in the world? Mm. There's a lot of different aspects that I would love to see more courageous conversations happening. And, um, courageous conversations and acceptance. Um, one of them is, is bodily autonomy as a woman. Um, another one would be just acceptance and, and curiosity about different cultural cultures and religions. That's, um, that's something that I've noticed from my travels that it's very hard to, um, at least the interpretation of the American Christianity. Okay. So, um, the different cultures that I come in contact with over the last, uh, my, my, my career has been outside the United States for the last 20 years. And there is a, uh, a definite feeling from the people that I talk to, whatever culture it is, that they're worried that I'm an American Christian and that they're going to be pushed with the belief system. So I think that's a interesting stereotype that's there. And maybe, maybe we could be more courageous with, talking about that you know why is that um yeah uh, and then and then how it is to be a woman maybe in the church yeah mm. yeah 
Well, say, say more about that. I mean, you mentioned it before, but say just a little bit more about that. Okay. Um, when I was in university, I went to, um, I won't name the, I won't name exactly what it was, but it was a women's organization, a, a, a women's meeting of Christian women. And when I was, and so there was, there was hundreds of women from out throughout Texas that actually joined there. And part of what some of the sermons that they were talking about and some of that, the issues was that a woman needs to obey her husband. Um, that there was even talk about um, intercourse and that she should be ready whenever he is ready. Um, also when she's of childbearing age, that that is her duty to give him children. And that was, that was my that was the end of my church experience, actually. So, so, so it wasn't it wasn't just that. But then later, um, later, because at that point I hadn't really even thought about it. What what is uh, what is the ch- what is choice? What is pro choice, pro life, and what does that mean? And then I had once that became a reality for me, then then it became pretty pretty critical because I didn't have anyone to turn to, even of, of the friends that I thought were really friends. Um, and being judged for my decisions, which I believe in my heart were absolutely the right decisions for me. Um, yeah, that was really, really painful. Mm. Yeah. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for your courage and just sharing that story and sharing these experiences from your journey across uh, these uh, 20 plus uh, years uh, wrestling with the church, but also seeing the beauty of God active in the world. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you again, Hannah, for sharing your story with us. Those were important words for us to hear. As we think about the aspect of courage that is conviction, I want to read to us again from Luke 13. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years, 18 long years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. And when he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. First thing I want to point out here is that Jesus, when he sees this woman, this woman who who may not have felt seen for a long time, this woman who'd been bent over for 18 long years, in the midst of this worship service, when it was likely the case that men and women needed to stay a little bit separate here in the midst of this worship service, Jesus calls her to himself and he frees her. This is an important illustration of the character of God in Jesus Christ across scripture. Rather than oppressing this woman, Jesus frees her. Jesus liberates her. This connects well with what Hannah just said a few moments ago. 
rather than, than putting a weight on her, rather than pressing her down, Jesus lifts her up. She's already been bent over by whatever this spirit is that is weighing her down in life. Jesus frees her. And this is what Jesus does. This is the character of God in Jesus Christ, to be about freedom, to be about liberation. So as we think about different groups of people, this is how Jesus works. This is how the the Spirit of God works, to free and liberate rather than press down, rather than oppress. And in this action, God working in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit helps to adjust the ways that we relate to one another, the ways we see one another, and even the ways that we understand our faith. Let's continue to read on. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, there are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath day. Well, it's one of the Ten Commandments. We're supposed to be honoring the Sabbath. What does it mean to honor the Sabbath? It means to rest. God rested on the Sabbath day, according to the days of creation. And so we are to rest. God created rest on this day. So rest. And so religious leaders with a a very conservative or orthodox uh, appropriation of that commandment have said, look, don't work. Now, I will say that I love these words, conservative orthodox interpretations of Scripture. Uh, Those aren't words that we should push away. No, we should should embrace (laughs) Maybe we need to complicate the way we use these words of orthodox and conservative and progressive reads of Scripture. What Jesus does is create what Brian McLaren calls a generous orthodoxy here. Jesus helps us to interpret Scripture. And the generosity is with the the lens of God. With the, with the sense of how God works in the world. Jesus helps us to understand the character of God so that as we look at Scripture and we interpret it, we can interpret it with God's orthodoxy, um, with God's heart. And so Jesus replies, hypocrites, Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink. Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, uh, that is um, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus is saying, look, if you take your cattle If you take your animals out and you loose them to be able to have a nourishing drink, why wouldn't you 
let this daughter of God, this child of God, this daughter of Abraham, who has been bound and weighed down for 18 years, why wouldn't you let her be free? So she can go and get a drink and her life might be refreshed as well. Jesus says it doesn't make sense. Look, you've got to interpret in a, in a different way. Your interpretation of scripture must lead to freedom, must lead to, lead to life. And so when he said these things, all of his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. Wow. Oftentimes, we are in one of those two camps. As religious people, we, we see something, we see the way something is being done, the way something's being interpreted, and we say, whoa, 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 no way. God wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. But then on the other side, those who are celebrating because they say, no, no, Jesus would. Look at what Jesus is doing to free, to heal, to liberate, to create new life. And so when we're trying to figure out which way to take, because of these, these competing pictures of the kingdom, competing pictures of the, of the character of God, my shorthand is this. Look for healing, look for liberation, look for freedom, look for new life, look for joy in the spirit. And more times than not, you're going to be able to see how God is moving in those places. But where there is oppression, there's weighing people down, or there's pushing people out. Those are the places for us to squint our eyes a bit and say, wait, wait, wait. Based on what I know about the movement of God and Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in this world, what am I seeing here? One thing about um, speaking up, speaking out, you all know that one of the books I love is Tattoos on the Heart by Father Gregory Boyle. And so I, I want to leave us with this because this is a great example for me, this passage about what it means to speak up and speak out, not necessarily even with our words, but with our actions as well. From the book Tattoos on the Heart, from the chapter titled Success, Greg Boyle writes, Success and failure ultimately have little to do with living the gospel. Jesus stood with the outcasts until they were welcomed or until he was crucified, whichever came first. The American poet Jack Gilbert writes, the pregnant heart is driven to hopes that are the wrong size for this world. The strategy and stance of Jesus was consistent in that it was always out of step with the world. Jesus defied all the categories upon which the world insisted. Good, evil, success, failure, pure, impure. Surely he was an equal opportunity ticker offer 
Those are my words I'm substituting in this regard. The right wing would stare at him and question where he chose to stand. They hated that he aligned himself with the unclean, those outside, those folks who ought neither to touch nor be near. He hobnobbed with the leper, shared table fellowship with the sinner, and rendered himself ritually impure in the process. They found it offensive that, to boot, Jesus had no regard for their wedge issues, their controversial amendments, or their culture wars. The left was equally annoyed. They wanted to see the 10-point plan, the revolution in high gear, the toppling of sinful social structures. They were impatient with his brand of solidarity. They wanted to see him taking the right stand on issues, not just standing in the right place. But Jesus stood with the outcast. The left screamed, don't just stand there, do something. And the right maintained, don't stand with those folks at all. Both sides seeing Jesus as the wrong size for this world came to their own reasons for wanting him dead. Both sides were equally impressed as he unrolled the scroll and spoke of the good news to the poor, sight to the blind, liberty to the captives. Yet only a handful of verses later, they wanted to throw Jesus over a cliff. How do we get the world to change anyway? Dorothy Day asked critically, where were the saints to try to change the social order? Not just minister to the slaves, but do away with slavery. Dorothy Day is a hero of mine, but I disagree with her here. You actually abolish slavery by accompanying the slave. We don't strategize our way out of slavery. We solidarize, if you will, our way towards its demise. We stand in solidarity with the slave, and by so doing, we diminish slavery's ability to stand. By casting our lot with the gang member, we hasten the demise of demonizing. All Jesus asks is, where are you standing? And after chilling defeat and soul-numbing failure, Jesus asks again, are you still standing there? Can we stay faithful and persistent in our fidelity even when things seem not to succeed? I suppose that Jesus could have chosen a strategy that worked better, that didn't end in the cross. He couldn't find a strategy more soaked with fidelity than the one he embraced. My prayer for all of us is that we would be so soaked with this kind of fidelity, that we'd have the courage and the conviction to stand up for, to speak out for, but also the courage and the conviction to stand with, to deeply solidarize with. And I believe that God will bless and honor that faithfulness. And that we see good things, we see new life. And even when we're, when we're challenged, when people press 
against us, when people try to see the demise of whatever we're trying to do, whoever we're with. I know that in Jesus Christ, there's always a resurrection those opponents cannot see. And so my continued challenge to us is to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us so that we could see what God sees, we could see with the eyes of Jesus as we move in this world, and that where the Holy Spirit awakens conviction in our heart, both in a shift from one way of seeing things to another, or conviction of belief in something that is deeply, lovingly, compassionately true, that we would speak up and that we would stand with. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you, and we hope to see you soon.